there's something about the beach, though. You may know about this. If you ever go down to the ocean, you discover that wherever you find yourself on the beach, there are flags up on a flagpole. You know what I'm talking about? And one day we went out there and there was a green flag and that meant the ocean might as well be a lake because there's no waves today. And so it was a green flag day and that was okay, but not really what I was looking for. And then one day there was that purple flag. I hate the purple flag. You know what I mean? That's the marine life flag. That's the one that says if you get in the ocean, you're going to find some jellyfish. You know, some people are afraid of sharks. I worry about jellyfish. And then there are those days when you have the yellow flag. And the yellow flag means the surf's getting kind of rough. And you need to be really careful when you go out there because there's some undertow going on. And you just need to be really careful what you're doing. And that's the yellow flag. And then one day there's the red flag. And you know what the red flag means. And it probably means to you the same thing the red flag means to me. It means the body surfing is going to be excellent today. <laughs> Get out there and let those waves wash you into the shore. And we had a couple of red flag days that were just outstanding. I did find out, though, that time is passing by because my son and I were out there for couple hours one day riding the waves and I got up the next morning and I thought why is my back sore and then I thought I know why your back is sore you've been out in the middle of all that surf it was great but you know the thing is the red flag really doesn't mean get out and have a great time what does that red flag mean stay out of the water undertow it's dangerous out there stay out of the water and there's something in my soul that says if that's the rules I'm going to break them <laughs> and you know why I can confess that because you have the same thing deep inside of you now it may not have anything to do with the ocean but it has to do with life in general there's something inside of us that says if there are rules I'm going to break them and the last few years, we've been seeing that happen a great deal in the spiritual world because we've had all kinds of folks who all of a sudden are coming out of the woodworks and they're saying things like this. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God anymore. Or I'm agnostic. I'm not sure whether God is there or not. Or even that strange description that I hear people use a lot these days that says, I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious. I'm not even sure what that means. Other than it probably means I don't want to follow anybody else's rules. I don't want anybody telling me this is what you have to do. This is what you have to believe. This is how you're supposed to live. These are the rules and you've got to follow them. There's something in us that says I'm not going to follow the rules even if God is the one who makes the rules. So why should I? Do the things God tells me to do. Why should I go to church? I can be religious all by myself. Why should I do the things they do in church? After all, I can figure out my own practices. Why should I believe the things the Bible tells me I'm supposed to believe? After all, I can make up my own mind about what is truth. 
The problem is when we decide I'm going to reject all of the rules, you're not just rejecting the rules. What you're doing is you're inviting chaos into your life because rejecting God and rejecting his ways is just one way of saying I want to see chaos to sin in my life and in my world. We see the evidence of that all around us these days. If ever there's been a society that's struggling with chaos, it is American culture today. We're trying to figure out, so what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is not and what am I, what's okay for me to do and what do I need to be careful about? And, and if we're not careful, we begin to say, I don't need the Lord. I don't need what the Lord wants me to do. I can make up my own mind and chaos is a result because when we reject God and we reject God's rules what we're really doing is rejecting everything we were created to be it's the Lord who tells us how we're supposed to live how we're supposed to love how we're supposed to relate how we're supposed to obey how we're supposed to flourish so beginning this morning and for the next couple of months I'm going to be preaching a series of messages and I'm just calling this series why should I why should I do what God wants me to do why should I believe the things people think I ought to believe why should I follow Jesus when I can go my own way Why should I? And over the next couple of months, every Sunday, I'm going to take a different question and we're going to look at why that's important. And I think if we're going to do that, we need to begin at the beginning. And the beginning and, uh, the be and beginning at the beginning means answering the basic question, why should I believe in God? Why should I believe there's somebody out there why should I believe there's a creator behind it all why should I believe that there's someone who cares about me and he is the ruler of heaven and earth why should I believe in God every day all over the world people are asking that same question is there a God is there a God? What's he like? Does he care about me? Why should I believe in God? Well, this is nothing new. Years and years ago, the Apostle Paul found himself in Athens addressing some of the wisest men in the world. Some of them believed in many gods. Some of them believed in no God at all. All of them wanted to know, does it really matter if I believe in God. They'd invited Paul to speak because they had heard just a little bit about the Apostle Paul and about his message, this message about Jesus of Nazareth. And they wanted to know, what's this all about? The Bible says it's because these were men who always wanted to talk about the newest ideas and the biggest questions. They wanted to know why should I believe? And so they invited Paul, and he had a window of time to answer that question. Why should I believe in God? It's a question you may be asking today. 
Seems strange to ask that question in church, doesn't it? After all, doesn't the very fact that you're here mean you believe in God? Well, maybe so. Maybe no. People have a lot of reasons why they come into a sanctuary like this one. They're gathering all over Birmingham today gathering to worship and some folks are fervent believers and some are casual believers and some are not believers at all and there may be some here today who are really asking that question in a serious way maybe for the very first time why should I believe in God some have doubts some have questions. Some want to know, does it really matter anyway? So this morning, I want us to go to Acts 17, to this conversation between Paul and those wise men at the Areopagus and learn why you should believe in God. And the first thing I want you to know is this. You should believe because everything comes from him. God is the source of everything that exists. Paul was standing in that place in the center of Athens, that place where all the teachers and thinkers would gather to discuss ideas. And from Paul, where Paul was standing, the Bible says he could see temples and idols and altars all dedicated to all the various gods that the Greeks had decided to worship. They were gods of natural forces. They were gods of natural, of human inclinations. They were gods of all sorts that they tried to worship and appease. And in the midst of them all, there was an altar that he found, and it was ascribed to the unknown God. And that altar became the inspiration of his message. As Paul was standing there thinking, how can I communicate the gospel to these people, these very wise, very sophisticated people, these very skeptical people, these very questioning people? How can I bring the gospel home to their hearts? He recognized, there it is. There's the altar. The unknown God. I can explain who he is to these Greek scholars. So he told them, I'm going to explain to you who the unknown God is. And almost immediately he described the Lord as the one who is superior to any other deity they might be worshiping. And this is what he said. He said, God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. What was he saying? You should believe because everything comes from God. When you read through the book of Psalms, one of the things you discover over and over again is that David continues to make this point continually in his Psalms. God, the great God, the overwhelming God, the creator God, the God who decided I will relate to men. Because it was his decision to do so. It's critical not only to believe in God, but to have a clear belief of who God really is. And this is what the Bible wants you to know. He is the source 
of everything that exists. Hear me clearly this morning. We live in a created universe. We don't live in a random vacuum. We don't live in a world that just happened to come together. We live in a universe that is the creation of a God who did exactly what he wanted to do. And he made a universe, and he made a galaxy, and he made a solar system, and he made this planet, and he made you intentionally, exactly the way he wanted you to be. We believe we live in a created world. I find it interesting that so many people accept that believing in the existence of God takes some great leap of faith. That somehow, if you're going to believe that there's a creator out there, that's going to take some huge leap of belief. But to me, the huge leap of belief is believing in a universe that just happened to come into existence. I don't know how it got here. It doesn't have any design and there's nothing created about it. It's just here. How can you make that kind of leap of faith? Years ago, Soren Kierkegaard said this. He said, to believe in a a random universe is to believe that an explosion in a keyboard factory could result in a dictionary. Somebody has to make it. Somebody designed it. Everything about the world around us shouts out that there is a creative hand behind it all. It is true and the majesty of the macrocosm that we do live in the midst of a world, in the midst of a solar system, in the midst of a galaxy, in the midst of a universe. But it's also true in the microcosms of life. It astounds me every day to think how many things have to work within this body for me to live. How many systems have to work together? How many tissues have to cooperate with one another? How many cells have to do exactly what they're created to do? Otherwise, I don't exist. What am I saying? I'm saying the God who made it all is also the God who made it all. We live in a created world. No wonder Paul would tell the Athenians, for in him we live and move and have our being. Why should you believe that the Lord is the source of everything? Because if you don't, then you're accepting that you live a meaningless life in a purposeless universe. And there's no reason for anything whatsoever. We live in a created universe, but that's not all. Paul wants us to know that you should believe because something, you know something's broken. 
If there's one thing everybody in the world has in common, it is a heart-deep knowledge that things are not right in this world. That things can go wrong, that people can do wicked things, that diseases can afflict bodies, that the world is broken, that natural disasters can occur at any time, in any place, in anybody's life. We recognize this world is not the way it's supposed to be. But here's my question. Why do you think that? Why do you think the world is not perfect? After all, you have no evidence of a perfect world. I mean, we ought to just all accept the fact that the world's a broken place, that bad things happen, that bad people do bad things. We ought to just say, that's the way things are. But there's something inside of us that says, even though that's the way things are, it's not the way they're supposed to be. Not only do I recognize I live in a broken world, but I also recognize this, and I've been damaged as well and things are not right in me and things are not right in you this is one of the things that Paul wants us to remember there is a hole in your heart that you cannot fill up by yourself there are things that are broken in this world and in your life and you can't do anything about it no matter how hard you try no matter how you live no matter what you have something's not right hundreds of years ago Blaise Pascal said it means there is a God-shaped vacuum in the center of every man's soul a God-shaped vacuum, and until that vacuum is filled, nobody's ever going to be complete. Why should I believe in God? Because I recognize there's something broken in me, and I can't fix it, but he can. The people that Paul met in Athens were folks who understood things are not right they were the city's elite they were the most educated the most accomplished even the most spiritual they had learned everything they could learn they had done everything they knew to do they had even worshipped at all sorts of idols and temples but they still knew something is broken something's not right it's why they raised that statue to the unknown God because they were trying to cover all their bases to find something that would make life work again Somehow they knew there had to be more. That's why they wanted to hear from Paul. In essence, what they were saying was, here comes this man. We don't know him very well. We know a little bit about who he is and what he's been talking about. But maybe he's the one that has the answers. Maybe he's the one that makes sense. So they waited to hear from Paul they knew things were broken so do you when you're honest with yourself you know this I am damaged goods every one of us I am damaged goods a little while ago before church started I got a chance to spend a little time with Ben and Ben's got his cast on for two more weeks and then his wrists are going to be whole. And I'm grateful for that, for Ben. 
I know y'all are excited, John and Donna. That's going to be exciting. But you know what? Even when your body's whole, there's still something that's broken inside. We're all damaged goods. And if we're ever going to be fixed, then somebody else is going to have to fix us. And that somebody else is the Lord. Why should I believe in God? Because if I don't believe that I am recognizing that I'm going to remain damaged for the rest of my life. And I'm never going to be able to fix myself. And I'm never going to be able to forgive myself. And I'm never going to be everything I want to be. Unless somebody fixes me. And it has to be the Lord. Because nobody else can do it. I believe in God because I believe in the power of redemption. I believe in the power of forgiveness. I believe in the power of restoration. I believe in the power of wholeness. I believe that even though I can't fix myself, I worship a God who can fix me. But I have to trust him. But Paul's not through yet. He also says this, and you should believe because you know you're going to die someday. Do you realize of all the creatures on the face of the earth, only man is aware of the fact that he's going to die? We think about that time when we're not going to be here anymore. Other creatures, animals, fish, birds, they don't worry about that. They're not aware of it. We think about it. Someday, I'm going to die. What does that mean? That means we live our lives knowing that we operate under a time limit. And we don't know what it is. For some, death will come early. For some, later on. Some will be taken suddenly. Others, at the end of long and fruitful days. But unless Jesus returns, all of us will die someday. No exceptions. That means we should live out our days in ways that matter the most. Because nothing is more tragic than a life that is lived without meaning or a life that is measured by the wrong values. Nothing is worse than living out a life and recognizing at the end of it all, I never really knew what it was all about. I never really found any purpose for my life. Nothing is worse than coming to the end of your days and recognizing I spent all of my time and all of my effort and all of my passion on something that in the end really didn't matter all that much. There was a time when John D. Rockefeller was the richest man on the face of the earth. When he died, someone asked his accountant, how much did Mr. Rockefeller leave? The answer, everything. Everything. The Bible reminds us that our lives are a gift from God. In verse 25 it says, He gives to all life and breath and all things. Later in verse 26 he says, He has determined our times and our boundaries. Time is the one greatest 
non-renewable resource. You get to use it one time, and then it's gone. And you can't bring it back, and you can't hoard it, and you can't save it. All you can do is invest it. We invest our lives recognizing someday I'm going to die. And believing in God makes sure that you live in a way that really matters. But that's not all that we need to know. We also need to know this. You should believe because you're accountable to him. All of us are going to die someday. And then we give account for our lives. Not only are we aware that we're broken. Not only do we know that we're going to die. There is something in every human heart that realizes. Someday I will be held accountable for my life. Someday I'm going to answer for the way I lived. That's the reason there were so many statues there on Mars Hill. The Greeks were trying to make sure they had every base covered before they faced judgment and eternity. Because someday you're going to be judged for your life. Listen to what Acts says in verses 30 and 31. It says, God commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. He has appointed that day. And once we die, we will experience one of two possible destinies. One is judgment. And eternity, suffering and separated from the Lord in hell. Listen to this. When it comes to eternity, hell is the only place you can send yourself. People always want to ask the question, how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't do it. You do it to yourself. How do you do it to yourself? You refuse to believe. We always kind of think that when judgment comes, it's going to be all about actions and motives and such. Really, it's all about what we did with the Lord Jesus Christ. Judgment is about refusing to believe. And that's one destiny. The other destiny is forgiveness. The promise of eternal life. The expectation of heaven. That's why God commands all men everywhere to repent. Because that's the, the path that he has provided to get to heaven. When we turn around from the way we used to live, when we repent of the sins we have committed, when we trust Christ instead of trusting ourselves. It's when we repent, when we admit we can't fix ourselves, when we confess that we need his forgiveness, when we ask him to give us eternal life, it's then that we discover who can make us whole and give us hope. For life after death. You see to believe in the true God. Is to believe in Jesus Christ. Because God revealed himself. In his son. 
Why should I believe in God? Because God revealed himself. He revealed himself in Jesus Christ, who was sent to be, to be the Savior. He is the one who makes us whole and gives us hope for life after death. To believe in the true God is to believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, God's only plan, your only hope. When we ask the question, why should I believe in God? We're not asking, why should I believe in a generic God that's out there? You know, the big guy, the fellow that might care and might not, the one who made it all and walked away. We're not talking about that. Nor when I ask the question, do you believe in God, am I asking the question, do you believe that there is a generic creator? What I'm really asking when I ask, do you believe in God, is do you believe in God who revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to this world to be your savior, to forgive your sins, and to grant you everlasting life? Do you believe in that God? Have you committed yourself to that God? Are you willing to trust and believe in that God who revealed himself in Jesus? Today, maybe you're here and you're not a believer. Maybe you're among those folks who have said, you know, I've decided I don't believe in God at all. But maybe you're among those folks who have thought, well, you know, as long as I believe in some general idea of God, that's probably more than enough. Maybe today's the day when you're recognizing for the first time, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to trust him as God's full self-revelation. Because he came and he died and he rose and he ascended and he's offered eternal life to everyone who believes. Could it be that's you this morning? Just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing our invitation hymn. And when we do, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to, to know the God who revealed himself in Jesus, you come forward. I'll be here waiting for you, and I'll be glad to talk to you, introduce you to the Savior. Maybe today is that day for you. Maybe today you're here as a believer, but you have to admit, you know, the honest truth is recently my relationship with Christ has not been that important in my life and today I need to make it right I need to recommit myself to a saving walk with Christ maybe God's calling you to be part of what he's doing in this church be part of our fellowship And today you want to come and join the church and plant yourself here and serving him here maybe there's another decision we're going to stand we're going to sing and as we sing, and as God's Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, you come. Let's stand together. Let's sing.
been a good day to be in God's house today. I'm glad we got to share this time of worship together. So glad to have so many who are with us today and guests who have visited with us. We're grateful for you today. Uh, let me encourage you to be back tonight, 5 o'clock. We're going to be back in our Roman study. We're doing some serious work these days, so be with us tonight uh, as we jump into Romans chapter 10 and begin to walk through that together. Let's bow together for our closing prayer and then one final song as we're dismissed. Father, we do thank you that you love us, that you made us, that you know us, that you save us. Thank you, Father, not only that you are a creator God, but a redeemer God who loves his own and knows us inside and out and chooses to call us his own. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.